Welcome back. It's Finding New Films, episode eight. And I'm here with my father. It's, you know, the whole reason maybe this podcast even exists. What's up? What's up, Hunter? I, um, I'm a big fan of the show. I wanted to say that. And, um, you know, watching movies is something that, you know, we've always enjoyed doing together. And as you've grown up and become a man and things and, you know, been able to appreciate films on all levels, you know, it's been fun to have like a, a buddy to talk film with. So this is kind of great. It's kind of migrated into a show for you. And I think you do really well with it. Thank you. Appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll see the money in your bank account. Later, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but really, I mean, uh, without this guy, who knows if finding new films would have ever started. So, um, cool full circle moment for the pod. Uh, so it was only right that he chose the movie. And this week, you decided on the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, um, by Andrew Dominic, who I had never really heard of before this, mm-hmm. but apparently he's a pretty well-respected auteur director. Um, he made Killing Them Softly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. With Brad Pitt, another good movie. That's, um, that's one of um, Tony Soprano's last movies. Yeah. Rest in peace. Mm-hmm. What's his real name? Um, I feel really bad about that. It starts with a G. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so welcome back to <laughs> That's not a film we're talking about today, so we don't have to know. James Gandolfini. That's I, it. I went to go look it up, pressing J-A, and remember it immediately. Um, yeah, Andrew Dominic, uh, Killing Them Softly... He's known for a smattering of other little indie movies, um, but cool guy. Yeah, seems like a cool guy. Seems like he gets like a like a, on a Rotten Tomatoes scale, like a seventy-five per movie. Uh, you know, respectable. Um, yeah. Anything you had? Uh, like, what were your initial thoughts going into this movie before we get into any details? Well. First of all, you know, I'm a big fan of the genre, the Western genre anyway. And, um, you know, I know that Brad Pitt and and all the movies that he works on, he looks at it like a broader, you know, more broad uh, perspective on that. uh, Any kind of thing that he goes to than just like what would be your common run-of-the-mill shoot-em-up Western like we're accustomed to in a lot of things. But... Um, you know, then I, I think about the um, Clint Eastwood, The Unforgiven, and he won the Oscar for the Western. I think it was the first Western that won an Oscar for Best Film, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong on that, but it was a lot more like that movie. But the surprising thing to me, it was even more introspective as a character. And the fact that it was actually a real life human being that they were examining, not an imagined character. I don't know. It just, it, it had a lot of things in it that were, you know, important to me, those underlying themes, like the metaphors and the, you know, the, the literary um, references and, and, and just being good prose, for lack of a better word. I mean, just a good script and dialogue and everything. Yeah. I, I can agree going in 
Um, just thinking, you know, everything that Brad Pitt puts his name on, especially as an executive producer in this movie, is going to have more nuance than, you know, just some random guy making The Hateful Eight or whatever. Not mm-hmm. to pick on that movie or anything, but not The Hateful Eight, but The Magnificent Seven, you know. Um, just, you know. A lot of westerns have very much become like, oh, send it in, mm-hmm. and it'll get the uh, get the the views that we want and the audience that we're looking for. And I mean, shows like Yellowstone have kind of reinforced that, and even <laughs> kind of made it even broader into like a western based in today's society. Um, so I don't know, seeing just a movie that was like a slice of eighteen eighty two and. Mm-hmm just kind of stayed true to the people of the time. That was cool. And it's not just a story about just some good guys trying to do good in a bad place. And there's a thousand shot fires. And, oh, wow, the only two people that don't get killed are the two good guys or whatever. You know, so that there was no, like, cookie-cutter pattern or anything like that. I mean, you can tell that there were plenty of places in this movie where they could have gone for the... The heartstrings, they could have gone for something more pleasant, but it always, always came back to the brutal reality of, of life and, and just relationships in general. Yeah. Just, <clears throat> especially within men, mm-hmm. in uh, navigating the male ego. The movie did uh, really good with that, I felt like. Just, um,. Just balancing out how men think, superstitions, all that, um, paranoia, yeah. just just a lot of different emotions on full display, uh, and like very raw. I had a note just based on this, um, the guilt. Guilt is such a nuanced uh, emotion in this movie feel like every character has, not every character, uh, but most characters that have the stuff to say in the movie are, are like a, they have guilt like worn all over their sleeves and they, they show it in many different ways. I mean, that scene, and we'll get into it later. That's, <laughs> that's getting ahead of myself a little bit, but, um, Let's go ahead and just get through the runtime and the, the casting and plot, and then we can talk about the movie itself. So, uh, written and directed by Andrew Dominic, been through that. Score was done by Nick Cave and Warren Ellis. Um, cinematography done by my main man, Roger Deakins. Uh, then the movie stars Brad Pitt, Casey Affleck, and Sam Rockwell. Uh, filled out cast with Sam Shepard, Mary Louise Parker, Jeremy Renner, Paul Schneider, and Garrett Dillahunt. So oh, yeah. and a nice cameo at the end by uh, Zoe Deschanel and James Carver. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that one. Yeah, we'll talk about it. Uh, plot goes as follows: In 1881, young starstruck Robert Bob Ford seeks out Jesse James when the James Gang is planning. A train robbery in Blue Cup, Missouri, 
making unsuccessful attempts, Jesus Christ, to join the gang with the help of his older brother, Charlie, already a member. The train turns out to be carrying only a fraction of the money they originally thought, and a dispirited Frank James leaves the gang and his brother. Jesse returns home to Kansas City, Missouri, bringing the Fords, Dick Little, and Jesse's cousin, Wood Height. Jesse sends Charlie, Wood, and Dick away, but insists that Bob stay out, stay for helping him move to a new furniture to a new home in St. Joseph, Missouri. Uh, Bob becomes more admiring of Jesse before being sent away. He stays at a farmhouse with his widowed sister, Martha Bolton, where he rejoins his brother, Charlie, Height, and Little. Little reveals to Bob he is in collusion with another member of the James gang, Jim Cummins, to capture Jesse for a substantial bounty. Meanwhile, Jesse visits another gang member, Ed Miller, who gives away information on Cummins' plot. Jesse kills Miller, then departs with Little to hunt down Cummins. Unable to locate him, Jesse viciously beats Albert Ford, a young cousin of Bob and Charlie, <coughs> who had hosted him. Uh, later, Little says, stays with Height at Height's father's house, where he has sex with Height's young stepmother. Upon learning of this, Height tracks down Little, tracks Little down to Bolton's, and holds him at gunpoint. But Bob intervenes, fatally shooting Height. They dump his body in the woods, conceal the murder from Jesse. Jesse appears at the Bolton's for dinner, where the Fords deny having seen Little recently. At dinner, Jesse mocks Bob for his idolization of him, leading Bob to become less enchanted with and more resentful of him, uh, especially after hearing what was done to his cousin. Jesse and Charlie travel to St. Joseph, where Jesse learns of Height's disappearance, about which Charlie denies knowing nothing. Knowing anything. <laughs> I know he ain't know nothing. No, he ain't know nothing. Meanwhile, Bob goes to Kansas City Police Commissioner Henry Craig, saying he knows Jesse's whereabouts to prove his allegiance with the James Gang. Uh, Bob, assists Craig, Bob assists Craig and Sheriff James Timberlake with the arrest of Dick Little, following Little's confession to participation in numerous gang robberies. Bob brokers a deal with the governor of Missouri, Thomas T. Crittenden. He is given 10 days to capture, kill Jesse, and his problems to substantial bounty and a full pardon for Height's murder. Charlie persuades Jesse to take Bob into the gang. The brothers return to St. Joseph, introduced as his cousins to Jesse's wife and two children. Introduce his cousins to Jesse's wife and two children, and they stay with the family. Jesse wants to revive his gang by committing robberies with the Fords, beginning with the Platte City Bank. During their stay, Jesse becomes increasingly suspicious of the two brothers, not allowing them to be alone together. However, as the stay passes, eventually he... Sorry. However, as the stay passes uneventfully, he later gives Bob a new nickel-plated gun as a token of apology. On the morning of April 3rd, 1882, as Jesse and the four brothers prepare to depart for the robbery, Jesse learns of Little's arrest from a newspaper. He suddenly removes his belt and climbs a chair to clean a dusty picture. Bob shoots Jesse in the back of the head with the gun given to him before fleeing with Charlie. They sent the telegram to the governor to announce Jesse's death, for which they were to receive $10,000. However, they never received more than $500 each. The Fords try to capitalize on the shooting, starring in a theater show in Manhattan, which sees them reenacting Jesse's murder, but people soon gradually become more hostile towards the pair, hailing Jesse as a legend and calling Bob a coward. The shows are eventually stopped after Bob loses his temper and beats the audience member. 
for mocking him, guilt-stricken, Charlie writes down numerous letters to Z. James asking for her forgiveness, but fails to mail any of them. He commits suicide in May 1884. Bob tries to move on with his life, becoming increasingly regretful of his past actions. And on June 8, 1892, Bob is murdered by Edward O'Kelly at his saloon in Creed, Colorado. O'Kelly is sentenced to life in prison, but he is pardoned after 10 years in 1902. Yeah. I just love that. I mean, yeah. you know, that was just like a political popularity move yeah. to actually happen. That, um, and that was the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Um, yeah, that's that's for damn sure. There's no way. There's just <laughs> there's just no way. I mean, uh, yeah, there's so much poetry even in just in that that. Just to get him his name out there, or to get him some type of notoriety in politics, that you would allow a guy who was the murderer of the murderer <laughs> of a murderer. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, I mean that's just that's just honestly hilarious for it to for the government to have done that. They basically killed Jesse James by way of a guy who's close to him. And that they're able to corrupt. And then this guy, for no reason, just wants to kill. You know, I guess not for no reason. He probably read all the Jesse James books and thought he could make a name off of himself by killing the man that killed Jesse James. And yeah, just a, a bunch of weird stuff. <laughs> and, and the fact that that's what gets him out of jail is like the public at large. Um, like gaining more uh, sympathy for Jesse James for being murdered in that mm -hmm. way that he was, and like for who they thought that he was from how it was written. Yeah, sounds like politics. <laughs> you know, I was just thinking about what you said, reading off the, the plot of that movie, and um, you know, this movie didn't do horrible at the box office, but you know, with a name like that and the nature of the film like that, I mean, it's like a serious, what I would call a serious film, not a movie, right. you know, which you go for to be entertained with. But just reading off the, the summary of the plot, I mean, granted, that's the plot of the movie, but it's in no way what the movie's about. Yeah. You know, that's the cool thing about it. I mean, this movie is just all about just a few relationships and you know all the people involved with it are manipulative to some degree or want something from the other to some degree and it's how it just basically all plays out and it's just you go back to thinking about it i mean from what i, I don't know a lot about jesse james i mean as, as much as i am interested about the history of the west and things like that like the actual factual events as they took place in his life, you know, I'm not really that familiar with. I, I, I like Billy the Kid more when I was a kid, but, you know, from what I understand, this was supposed to be like a really good historical telling of actual events. So when you take that and put it in consideration with what they did with this movie and the plot and everything and, you know, had everybody's motivations calculated and, and just the way they told the story, I mean, you know, even if you read the script of this movie, you wouldn't get a sense of what this movie was about because there's just so much that's said by, you, you know, expression, by cinematography, by situations. And, you know, reading the script, you couldn't tell the sarcasm. 
you know, there were so many incidents where you say something exactly opposite of what they mean. Right. You know, in the movie. And it's like, unless you watch it, you can't pick it up. And I mean, kudos to Brad Pitt because he does that. He, he really doesn't have to say a word as an actor. He's so yeah. good at expressing himself. I mean, he can express, you know, 10 different emotions in a scene of just of his, you know, um, countenance from the yeah. side or whatever, his profile. Yeah. And then, then him like, just thinking about stuff, and you see like ten different emotions run through her face. It's really amazing what he does. Yeah, and something me and Zach noted when we watched him on that Astra is like I think I don't know who know like pointed it out, but one I think one of us just said like it's so cool to watch him act because you can tell everything that he's thinking from his face. You don't even have to, you know, and that movie doesn't have a lot of speaking. And the speaking is, a lot of times, just, like, his inner monologue mm-hmm. of, like, I need to do this because this is what I need to do. And he's just speaking very matter-of-fact in those voiceovers. But when you see his face while he's speaking, that says more than anything. Like, when he's mm-hmm. doing those psychic relations in Ad Astra, and he's just, like, going through the motions of it. You can see on his face he's becoming more and more dissociated with those motions. Mm-hmm. But at the beginning, he's very pointed, and you can, you know, the inflection of his voice can tell a lot too. But he's very pointed, knows he means exactly what he says. And as the movie goes on, you see in his face that he doesn't mean what he's saying. Um, and I mean, I have that. I think I have one of those. My notes is. Um, it basically says kind of the same thing uh but it's more about the whole cast because a lot of this yeah so much of the screenplay is unspoken it's just people people's reactions people's looks i mean that scene when they uh when he realizes uh when bob realizes he's actually gonna have to do this like he's actually gonna have to kill him is that scene where um he basically brad pitt's character threatens him by telling him, like, what happened to that guy, George, mm-hmm. that he reminded him of, and he storms off. Um, like, that's in my head the moment where he's like, well, now I have to do it. Or that's what put him over the edge to want to have to do it. But the, in, the, in that one scene right before um, where... I don't remember exactly what's said, but Casey Affleck storms out and he goes and sits in the other room. He just starts crying and his like body's turned and then uh, Rockwell comes in and he kind of just stands there with him and he also, I'm pretty sure it's the scene where he kills him. Yeah. Yeah. It's like all a continuation of that scene. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know, you know, the one thing I think which, which disappoints Bob, like in the psychology, is, is not the fact that that he's made fun of or ridiculed. I mean, that bothers him, obviously, big time, like not being taken seriously. But the only thing that kid wanted, and the only thing that he wanted from Jesse really that would have, like, made a difference was his favor. Just to, like, him, like, kid, you're all right. You know, something like that. That's all he wanted was just to be a part of it. And I think deep down in his heart that, that Jesse felt like or knew that he just didn't have it in him, yeah, you I know, to, to be that. But he was wrong. 
<laughs> and I think it weighs on him so heavily because one of the last things that Jesse ever did was gave him a nickel-plated gun. Mm-hmm. Brand new, beautiful nickel-plated gun. And that was the gun he used to kill him. Uh, I think Jesse knew it. I mean, in my opinion, I think yeah. he wanted him to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like, the scene at the end towards the end when he gives him that gun saying, this is my apology. It's like, no, you are a cold-hearted bastard just like me. You know, one who's only looks for his own self-interest. And, you know, I hate myself at this point. I'm dying. You know, I've got all these diseases and, and everything. I don't want to put my family through this anymore. So you want the fame? You want this? Here, you do it. You take me out. Yeah. And that was his way of apologizing to me. The apology wasn't for, you, you know what I mean? Yeah, he wasn't... He wasn't actually apologizing, or maybe he was, but, but that at was the his same way time, yeah. Sorry. No, you're good. But that was that was the way that he uh, that he chose to do it, which is pretty cold, pretty cold blooded. Mm-hmm. Um, I've already gotten into my notes. I don't, if it wasn't clear enough, we're in the notes part. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, um, those scenes are awesome. This seems after the fact where he's like becoming despondent with what happened and Bob is and he's becoming just like completely like those ending scenes where he just seems depressed there is so well acted by Casey Affleck um he seems to be a guy who's really good at acting depressed (laughs) yeah he's he's very very good at acting depressed and melancholy yeah yeah (laughs) yeah Depressed and melancholy. That's Casey Affleck. The Casey I mean, Affleck story. I mean, you just think about like a ghost story or that uh, Manchester by the Sea. Mm-hmm. Very good at being sad. Gone Girl. No, was that Gone that Girl? That was Ben. No, I'm thinking, what was that other movie? Gone Baby Gone. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. He's, he's really good at being sad. Just keep being sad, Casey. I don't keep us entertained um can i make a point here for my notes it's kind of like going from the the beginning of the movie and it's talking you know because we can't talk about this movie without talking about the imagery and the metaphors and stuff and there was like at the beginning of the movie basically it starts out when bob joins the gang for the first time and he's going there wanting to um you know make an impression and, and get in good with Frank and Jesse, and Frank is older and more serious, and he's actually, from what I understand, kind of a more religious guy, and more like, uh, I guess for lack of a better word, have somewhat more of moral standard than, than Jesse does. And um, Frank just blows him off immediately, right out of the gate. Yeah. And Jesse just wants to play with him. He's got more of a playful nature. He still feels the same way about him that Frank does, but... Yeah. He's going to have fun with it at least, you know. And right after that scene when he kind of like, he first gets blown off by both of the brothers. I mean, he keeps trying to engage Jesse in that conversation. And he all he wants to do is talk to him about the stew and what's wrong with him and stuff like that. Just completely belittle any thought the kid had, you know. And he goes off by himself. Even though he got shunned by both of the brothers, he still has it. And then a mosquito bites him. Yeah. And he hit It's like... He's bitten by the bug. Yeah. He wants to be all in that group and be everything about it, even though they don't like him. Yeah. 
You can also take the metaphor of it being this mosquito as if like he is the parasite. Oh that, yeah. Good yeah, point. Yeah. He could, he that's how I interpreted it when I rethought about that because I was like there that scene definitely had some meaning and when I was trying to derive what I was feeling about it that's how I kind of took it he's like a pair he's the parasite he's the mm-hmm. mosquito on their gang and that could be yeah I don't think you got uh, more of a uh, that uh, yeah yeah that's kind of nails it I mean he's, he's a bloodsucker I mean like the bard says and in the song that he's singing uh in Robert Ford's <laughs> pretty no that was I don't know if that was in his uh little um saloon but the guy the bard that was singing in the saloon he slept in his bed he you know he killed him all his children was in the house he's just a straight up coward while he's going to dust a picture but you know you got always remember too that you know there were a gang of murderers and robbers so they were basically all parasites too yeah so he he became just like him yeah i guess that's the point is like the whole movie is you know everybody's saying how much you aren't like Jesse James. And it turns out... He just turned right into <laughs> Yeah, I mean, calculating cold-hearted and all that. But I don't think that's... I mean, Jesse seems like... I mean, at least in this movie. I'm not saying in real life, but the way Brad portrays him, that it's like Jesse is a conflicted guy. Yeah. He's a father and loving husband when he's at home, but he flips the switch and becomes this brutal character. Yeah. You know, when he's not in that. Yeah, I walk away, I black out, I come back, and hands are red. Yeah, it's 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 pretty unsettling. Um, he makes him out to be like a sociopath, or you know, just someone who can like understand how people feel, and but also just uses that to manipulate them, and uses it for his own benefit. Um, and he's obviously a paranoid and delusional person. Because, I mean, I mean, that's another point I kept thinking about too. You know, obviously, Jesse James is one of the first, you know, nationwide famous people from the United States. I mean, is yeah. is Bob Borden maybe one of the first, you know, stalker killers? You know? That, yeah, that's my. You thing. know what I'm saying? I, uh, that's my second note. This is a, it's a case of like just celebrity stalking. I mean, mm-hmm. how is this? I guess I want to see how is this, but. It's not that much different from like the death of you know uh, Gianni Versace. Mm-mm. I mean, it's just a guy that like loved this guy. Never meet your heroes, I guess. And then you know, it just it boiled up into this thing that he couldn't get out of. And loved a guy so much, he had to be the one to take him out. That's it's such a weird. That's a mentality. I don't think any of us will ever truly understand. Yeah, I mean, it's truly pathological. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. It's 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 pretty weird. <laughs> That's all I can say. Uh, so that's the point. Another thing, I know we're coming up on a break soon, but, you know, what's worse? You know, Jesse, who seems to be in control of himself, but, you know, is brutal even though he knows it's bad, or Bob, is it worse that he's bad and has no inkling of, of any sense of morality yeah. whatsoever? Yeah, I don't know. That's <laughs> a good question, because you, you kind of sit there with, like, you could see yourself 
or anyone watching this movie could see themselves in any which of the characters, I think. And, yeah, it's really tough to see yourself in any of these characters. <laughs> it's like, it's hard to see the bits of humanity that you possess being shown in characters that are so cold-blooded and animalistic. So, um, yeah, I guess it really just depends on who you end up siding with. And it's weird that at, by the end of the movie, you, like, pity Jesse James. Mm-hmm. Even though he's a ruthless, cold-blooded murderer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, those claims of being, like, a Robin Hood-esque figure are just overblown. So. Yeah, over the years. So, yeah. But we probably need to set this break up. So, was, I messed up a bunch of them last <laughs> week. So... Uh, stick around. We're going to be right back. We're going to talk more of our in-depth thoughts on the assassination of Jesse James. Um, I'm going to grab another beer. Yeah. So, don't go anywhere. So, we're talking about the celebrity stalker thing, and then I think that was really the last thing. Um, yeah. I like the, uh, the part like the what is the word i like the uh dynamic of the movie being told to you a little bit ahead of what's actually happening i feel like it plays into the name of the story really well um or the name of the movie you know you already know exactly what's happening by the end of the movie yeah that's a good point is like just i mean this what happens is in the title of the movie, so you're not surprised, but it's it's still captivating. You know what's coming, but it's still interesting and mesmerizing yeah. the whole way. It's like, how is this going to actually happen? You yeah. know what I mean? Because you just don't see it at the beginning yeah. at all. Yeah. Because he seems like Bob, like such a little dweeb, and Jesse just seems like he's got everything together and everything figured out. Yeah. But it doesn't turn out to be that way. It's, yeah, it's... It's really funny how uh, it seemed like Casey Affleck's character gets so emboldened by the killing, uh, what's his face that he hated? Wood? Wood Height, yeah. His, yeah. Jesse's, he was Jesse's cousin, by the way. His yeah. first cousin, nonetheless. Um, the way they dumped his body was brutal. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, and then they, the, the, I just love the, the, the contrast of them giving him a proper Christian barrel, but all they do is kick snow over him. Yeah. And then they can't remember the rights is yeah. everything. <laughs> yeah. And Bob, of all people, is the one who has to remind the guy who's trying to give him a Christian yeah. burial of what the rights actually are. I just thought the irony of all that was just... It was beautiful. Mm-hmm. They, um... They also, um, when Jesse, or when... Yeah, when Jesse gives a map to the, uh, not Jesse, Je- uh, Robert gives him the map, doesn't mm-hmm. he? He gives him the map of the property and leaves out in Little Creek. Yeah, they, where they dump the body. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was a nice touch, too. Um, I have a note that says Dick is aptly named. Yeah, right. Yeah. For lack of a better word, the, the character, and I would assume the guy in real life plays a, yeah. uh, a womanizer without any reservations whatsoever about yeah. what he's doing and you know all the other guys in the gang and stuff 
you know, look up to him because he's reads, he reads poetry and stuff, and he has a line. He talks women into bed, but then he's you find out that he's going after. Oh, I'll let you bring up that children <laughs> and um, married women. Not that it was like you know the greatest relationship in the world that he ends up messing up, but still, um, yeah. <laughs> just the scum of the earth uh, person right there just has a line in the movie where he says poetry don't work on whores yeah. um, when he was that opening scene where they're introducing Dick Little by having him like belittle the guy or they like make fun of that guy who like thinks he's falling in love with a stripper mm-hmm. she gave me a good price too <laughs> that was that was really funny. That was that was another one of those scenes where you, it has to be conversational. If you just read that on the screen, I mean, or read that on the script, like you might think it's funny just because mm-hmm. it's clever, but the way that it's acted out is so funny. It feels real. It almost makes you hate Dick more because you know he's obviously got some sense about him. He's an educated guy. He's not ignorant. A lot right. of the guys in the group are just you know dumb. Farmers that don't know any better, just dumb eggs, basically. And he just toys with them. Yeah. You know what I mean? He he could do so much more, you know, than what he does. And about gets him killed Mm -hmm. and gets him captured. So, yeah. It's 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 interesting. It's it's a weird. It's it's, that's a very intriguing character for being a side character. And I think it's important to say, too, to like give the movie some context if anyone hasn't seen it, that, you know, again, it's brutal reality, this movie, all of it. There's nothing re- romanticized about anybody in the movie from Jesse on down to the lowest guy. Um, and, you know, the movie it seems like it's moving slowly. And then with the cinematography... They can advance the passage of time just in between the scenes, showing like a lot of clouds go by really fast or whatever. But I'm kind of losing my point of thought here. But it, it's just that there's nothing romanticized. You don't long to be any of these guys. It's really because, I mean, Jesse James, even, you know, Mr. Invincible himself, you know, is basically in the, in the night going from one house to the next. Now, a lot of people did love Jesse and would hide him out or wouldn't cooperate with authorities and stuff. I mean, in real life and in the movie, too, you know, if they knew where he was, right. you know, he could hide amongst the people, so to speak, kind of like Robin Hood would. Right. But at the same token, there was such a price on his head. And, you know, so many things they have to look out for. It was just, it just tore him to pieces having to be, he didn't sleep, he had insomnia. He was constantly going back after. I think another good point they made during the movie, the narrator is, is like at this point, everyone had ridden with the James game were either dead or captured. So he really didn't have anything left to choose from, but all these scrubs that were still out there. Nobody else wanted to ride with Frank and Jesse because they all ended up dead or in jail. So that's where he was. And, um, but yeah, I mean, there was nothing, there was no ride in in a blaze of glory and, get a whole safe full of gold and rough. It was it was hard, tough life that they I mean, granted they stole money and they were comfortable because of it, but they were constantly on the run. It was just a brutal life, you know? Right. 
That's all. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. Um, piggybacking off that, I mean, like, I have a thought that just says, um, Jesse is a malicious and delusional person and is torn apart by his own bravado and paranoias. Um, but then I want to also say, this is like one of the only times in a Western movie I've seen cowardice and paranoia be given actual human, like, uh, consequences and be shown in like a super realistic way. Normally cowards in like a Western movie is like a, a, a farmer that stands up to the main bad guy and it's like, oh, well, you're not a cow. You're like, you're not cool for standing up to me and like, mm-hmm. you're, you're also a coward you know or you're gonna shoot me in my back or something but like the the scene where he goes and kills a or not kills but he goes and beats up the the little boy and then he's like crying afterwards mm-hmm. i feel like is a great example of that but even him going to kill ed i mean ed is visibly terrified the entire time visibly and he and his voice is shaky he's so afraid of jesse because he knows it's gonna happen mm-hmm. and that's exactly what happens um that was really that was really intriguing for that whole 10 minutes i don't want to say 10 minutes for like whole five minutes his character's on the screen after that like initial re um introducing of them is you know he he's just terrified. I felt like that and he played that so well. Yeah. Just the terrifying. I do. And he did, that scene, you know, the cinematography, we haven't really touched on it so much, but it's so good in that movie because I mean, it's a scene of um Ed who, by the way, for some context had conspired to to turn Jesse in for a reward. So Jesse uh, gets wind of it and is coming to see him, and he lives out in the farm in the middle of nowhere. And the cinematography of this guy looking out his window, and he sees a lone horse riding through the snow towards his house. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's a long shot, and then it kind of like blurs until he's right there at the door, and it's just like a ghost is yeah. coming to get him. And he knew exactly what it was and what he was coming for. Yeah. It's just so ominous. And, and and he has Jesse riding up on people's houses like three or four times in the movie that way. Yeah. And it's like, you know what's coming. I mean, it's like death is coming. Yeah. Know? Yeah, that, I would say that would be the the metaphor there. <laughs> death is coming. Because he's always in black. Um, so he's always ready to mourn somebody. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Death rides in the night. Death rode in on a white horse. What was that? What's that quote? He came in riding on a white horse, and his name was Death, and Hell came with him, something like that. But, uh, yeah, no, the cinematography is incredible. Roger Deakins is one of the best cinematographers uh, to ever have done it. Um, man is almost 90 years old at this point. Wow, I didn't realize he was that old. Yeah, yeah. so this movie, what, 15 years ago, 16, so. I'm assuming he's passed by now. no. Oh, he's 90 now. Yeah. Like, I'll probably be saying 90 when he made this no, I think so. I think yeah, that's okay. right. Um, but uh, while you're looking that up, I yeah. wanted to make one point so we'll have to go back and revisit on that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesse had gone to the house of the other co-conspirator who was going to turn him in, 
and he wasn't at home, but there was a kid there who was maybe like 10 or 11 years old that was um, actually a young cousin of the Ford brothers. And, um, I mean, Jesse James is like, doesn't give this kid a break at all. I mean, he manhandles him like he's a man and drags him out to the barn oh, and yeah. starts smacking him around him. and stuff. And um, he brings... He brought Dick Little with him, right? No, I mean, he brought... Yeah, yeah, you're right. He brought Little. Dick with him. And I was like, of all people that you would bring, why would you bring Dick with you? You're already so suspicious of the guy now, as it is. But I think the only reason that he brought someone in there with him is because he didn't trust himself with his own brutality anymore at that point. I just think he brought him there. Because he knew he was going to be the like, only person that could have been able to like tell him when to stop yeah. or know what the limit was. His brother used to do that for him all the time, and now he's not there anymore. Yeah, he needs that that person to write the ship for him because mm-hmm. he's not thinking right. And and then you look at Jesse in this movie up until that point, yeah, and he'd been so calculated, so brutal. It's just like no conscience whatsoever. And then it, that scene, for like no unconscious after they're leaving, at that point he breaks down and he cries. I mean, he doesn't just like tear up a little bit. I mean, he's sobbing. weeping, sobbing. And uh, even Charlie is like, no, that one was dick at that point. You're right, Jesse. And, you know, and he just jumps on his horse and ride, literally rides off into the sunset. A yeah. dying sun. Yeah. yeah, that was another great cinematographer moment. Yeah. He had so many. Um, the the cinematography was really crisp. I really enjoyed the contrasts. Uh, there was a scene where Casey Affleck and Charlie, or Casey Affleck and Sam Rockwell, are both in brown uh, jackets, white shirts, um, brown pants, and then they're in a wheat field, and the background is orange, and yet you can see every color so clearly. It's the contrast, the ways they specifically use contrast in certain scenes where it needed more, like, depth, uh, it felt like it was just so colorful. Mm-hmm. And then in those scenes where the life had to be sucked out, it was like the, the blues were heightened and everything felt so blue, but then the points where they were trying to romanticize felt so vivid and colorful um of being like you know the times where they're outside and they're just sitting around those are the only times where they truly get to experience life but when they're actually living their lives it's so cold and gray yeah it's like yeah even in the house it's just silence and just their voices and just looking for ways to entertain each other or like time they're looking outside yeah yeah just gazing out the window you know, those scenes with the wheat fields, I, was, I, I thought of that too. And, you know, yellow, you know, metaphorically or symbolically has always represented decay. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then a majority of the movie is shot in and portrayed in the dead of winter with snow on the ground and just, and it's cold and it looks cold and you feel it too, you yeah. know, and death being winter, winter being death, so to speak. It's a... Yeah, I mean, it's everything from the the acting to the tone of the movie to the cinematography really came together to to make it work. I don't think if you were missing any of those components, 
because the movie does kind of move somewhat slow. Yeah. Without those components all working together, I don't think it would work. But with them all there working perfectly, I mean, you can sit there for two and a half hours and not feel bad about it. Not that yeah. I, I would feel bad about this movie anyway, but still. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I have that as one of my notes. This movie like feels slow while you're watching it, and then you you look at the time left on the the movie, and you're like, wait, what? How am I halfway through the movie? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I feel like the scenes sit with you, but they don't. They're not slow. It's the game. It gives a brisk pace, and it gets through it fine. But I don't feel at any point where I'm like, oh man, this is dragging. Yeah, or like yeah. nothing feels out of place or extra. Like, I think of another movie, like, Dances with Wolves. And, I mean, it's not two minutes. It's That's a three-hour-long movie. But, I mean, I mean, you feel like you've been in that theater or watching that movie for a year when it's over because it's so encompassing, you know. But this movie is just like you were just there for this little segment of time and got to, to see what happens. This movie's very deliberate. With yeah, what it's deliberate's going. a good word. It's it's very very deliberate what it's trying to do and it knows exactly what it wants to do and it does that and gets out in a good amount of time. Um, I have a, a note that says Sam Rockwell is great at playing a calculated oaf, just a guy who knows when to just be like, ah, you know me, I'm just an idiot, you know. Um, and how many times that got him out of actually like having to fight somebody, <laughs> uh, well, specifically Jesse, but like many times he was able to just be like, uh, you know, it's not a thing or like that scene where he's trying to come up with something to talk about other than what, what Jesse very obviously wants to talk about. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. His acting was really good. I feel like all three of the big people's acting was really good mm-hmm. um yeah. well, another thing to, to mention about that excuse me um i forgot the point i was gonna make i'm <laughs> sorry no, <you're> <laughs> it happens i'm 51 so no, you're i'm entitled to a moment like every once in a while I love the disposition of Jesse telling the story of what happened to Ed uh, versus them showing the reality of what happened to Ed. Um, I thought that was an interesting way of showing how he perceives life and then to how he's showing, you know, everybody who he is. And, like, then when he tells that story, you start to wonder, you know, are these authors really trying to, like, uh, overblow, you know, his story, or are they really, you know, creating the aura of Jesse James, or is Jesse James walking around and creating the aura of Jesse James by talking to all of these authors and lending them these stories, because he tells a story to a guy he really trusts, maybe not so much by that time in the movie, but he just bold-faced lied about killing a guy that you know, Charlie really loved. Mm-hmm. And then even Charlie, after almost killing Jesse, is still kind of like, uh, you know, I, I don't know, we should have done that. He's like, he killed Ed. What are you talking about? He's like, I, I don't know, I still don't think it's a good idea. I thought that was great. I, I remember the point I was going to make yeah. know, with, with Charlie. Yeah, um, like, of all the game. Like, whenever anyone, like, tried to conspire against Jesse or, or told him a lie or something, 
he could pick it up immediately, but like Charlie was the only guy um, who was charismatic enough because it wasn't being smarter than other guys because the other guys were clearly smarter than Charlie. But he was charismatic enough where he could like pantomime at least yeah. his way through, you know, a situation where it makes it look like he's just being normal and nonchalant yeah. where everybody else just like immediately before he, you know, the moment he walks in the door and just throws their cards on the table. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, he was really, yeah, I don't know. I kind of think we said all that needs to be said about that. He's, mm-hmm. he's just, he, Sam Rockwell is very good at playing an oaf. <laughs> you know what happened. Uh, I love the James Carville pop-up. That was so random. But he did a good job. Mm-hmm. That little monologue was, was good. That's all I could say. Not too much to say. He didn't do a crazy good job, but good enough for a guy who doesn't act. Um, love the subtlety of the dialogue. Talked about the brown contrast. Um... Oh, I know. I think another uh, like nail in the coffin for Jet or for Robert was seeing Jesse with Z, Martha. Z was his wife, right? Yeah. Martha was not his wife. That was um, okay. I got them mixed up. I think. I think that was the she was a widow that was friends of the game to some degree, and so. She was kind of like an outlaw herself, and she had some money left over, and so gotcha. she kind of created a haven for the guys. And I, I got you. They could try to nestle his way into that house too, and she kind of spurned him. I got you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though she was a widow and actually needed a man, I mean, those days, yeah, you know, anything that Walt would do for right. a woman, you know, but. You know, even though he was a talker and everything, she was smart enough to know not to get involved with that guy. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I got them mixed up. But we'll talk about it when we get back from the next break because we're already done with this section. My camera's being weird and only let me record a certain amount of time right now. So we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Okay, um, so to finish we're off, back. We're <laughs> back. We're really back this time. But yeah, probably gonna switch to the the phone camera. But um, I felt like there's a, a lot of great cinematography in the dark in this movie. Um, kind of guess it kind of goes back to the contrast point that I made earlier, but just the level of intimate moments that happen in the complete dark um you're still able to see everything that's going on um it's kind of something i praised with white van white hema and ad astra it seems like brad pitt likes to make good movies it's weird mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but uh but you know both of those movies have so much setting in the dark and they both of them do such a good job of contrast in the dark um well, they are two of the greatest cinematographers of the modern era. But nevertheless, they still did a great job. Um, 
And there's that scene where Casey Affleck's character, well, sorry, Robert Ford is watching Jesse James sleep, basically. And he's noting where there's a gun. He knows there's a gun on the table. And he goes to get up. Click, 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 click. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need to go to the privy. You think you do, but well, you, you don't. don't. Yeah. <laughs> and he's, and he, a tear comes to his eye because he knew if he would have made any fast movement, he'd be dead at that moment. I thought that was really good. A really, really good um, um, thing from Affleck. Just the tear, the single tear rolling down the side of his face. I just remember um, you mentioned the scenes about the cinematography in the dark. I just remember the opening train robbery scene, which happened to be the like the final one that James Gang actually did, even though they went on to conspire like ten dozens more than they never did. But um, there's a scene right there at the beginning where the gang is all lined off to the side of the train tracks where they put up the train block or whatever to stop the train. And as the train passes, they're in complete darkness and they're dressed with their rifles and some have hoods on and stuff. And you just see the passing lights of the chain, so the train rather. So you just see flickering yeah. pictures, images of them, and it's so ominous. And you can imagine, you know, a pretty well-to-do person traveling by train from, you know, to wherever they were going, and it, you know, um, to be stopped in the dead of night. And that walk onto the train has got to be, like, terrifying. I mean, just yeah. the intimidation factor alone probably helped them out a lot. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, even when they get on that train, like, imagine not speaking English. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As that one Dutch guy. I mean, he has an idea of what's going on, obviously. But, like, I don't know what these guys want, you know? I don't know if they're about to kill me. But, yeah, that, that shot of the light seeping through to the woods. Mm-hmm. And having it shine on them was really a good a good choice. And they really did. I don't even, I can't even conceive of the way they did that because they did this in a couple of scenes where they did it with Ed's murder, with, you know, when, when Jesse took him out, it was which actually tended up, ended up being a, a flashback in the movie, which I thought was really cool because you just assumed Jesse killed Ed. But they never showed it mm-hmm. until later on in the movie when Jesse tells the story of what he did. And then they show it. And the spotlights on the faces in that movie, because everywhere except right in their faces was pitch black. And you can see the emotion on Ed's face is like, I know I'm a dead man. I'm going to die. Yeah. And he becomes increasingly more dreary or dreadful as yeah. they ride along. I mean, I was just incredible cinematography yeah they are really really good choices all around in that scene mm-hmm. um yeah i'm not i'm kind of losing i'm almost out of little points here but i have one that says kill your idols <laughs> uh-huh. uh little sonic youth um yeah love that that, that song uh, is pretty much the, the antithesis of this movie, you know, just kill your idols. <laughs> but uh, Jesse dying by the gun that he handed to um, Robert, just poetic in itself. Mm-hmm. We had talked about that a little bit earlier. Do you have any yeah. more points? Well, I really think that that Jesse got to a point where his life. I mean, obviously with Frank deciding to retire and not want to do it anymore, I mean, 
he lost. I mean, Frank was like his big brother in real life. I mean, it was his, you know, grounding station. And when he no longer had that, all he had was a bunch of these goons to hang around with now. And, and he had to call all the shots and it wasn't up to his brother. I think the weight of that and going back and having to cover his tracks all the time that, that, and plus he had probably had lung cancer based on the hints that they gave. And he had unhealed bullet wounds. He was willed, you know, riddled with in his body. I mean, his days were numbered and he knew it. And he knew he was burdened on his family and all this and that. I don't think that he wanted to live anymore. I mean, at least as in the portrayal in the movie. I mean, it's obvious at the end of that movie that Jesse put his gun belt down and said, I'm not going to be protecting myself and I'm going to turn my back to you and, you know, just do it. Yeah. And I want you to do it. And that's my gift to you because, you know what I mean? You wanted to be famous. You can have it, kid. You know yeah. what I mean? That's my gift to you. And I'll even give you a nice pretty gun to do it with. I think it was all planned. But saying that, you know, Jesse seemed like he was the master of his world and that, you know, he knew everybody and what they were thinking and doing and everything. But, I mean, did he really? So he just not. thought he did because would he have been so paranoid and so vindictive and relentless about making sure that people aren't coming after him or, or, you know, turning him in and stuff? I mean, he would leave. If he had a hint that there was something out there that was going to finger him, I mean, he'd go take it out. And I think he was just tired of leaving, living that life, and especially living that life for his family yeah. and young children. So, um, I, I, and one other point I want to make before I think about it is towards the end of the movie, and all along in this movie, I mean, there was serious, like, Judas-like references, you know, were, you know, a traitor within the family. I mean, you know, you almost had scenes were like when when jesse went home that final time and he took the four brothers with him it's just like jesus you know uh the night before he goes into jerusalem you know pray you know asking the apostles to pray with him and that's when judas went off and saw him i mean it, and uh, i said it's it's so prevalent and it's right there you know and i just love the fact that they're not like saying anything about it and then at the end of the movie it's like in the epilogue part, you know, well after Bob had killed Jesse and he went through his small period of fame just for the novelty of it. And then people just hated him for killing a legend, basically, at the end of it. Um, doggone it. What was the point I was trying to make? Oh, yeah. And he was talking to, he did meet a woman that, that apparently at least loved him somewhat, that he could confide in and talk with and stuff based on his diaries and stuff, what the movie was based on. And um, he told her, you know, later on that he couldn't really even remember that much about killing Jesse James, that before he, knew he it, fell asleep, he, right? he was like, he, he remembered picking up the game and gun, rather, he remembered picking up the gun, and the next day it was Good Friday. Yeah. The next thing he knew it was a good Friday. I was like, oh. I was like, I feel like I was dead on that. But I just wish they wouldn't have said it almost, you know? They said, next thing I knew it was good Friday and I was reading his obituary. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was yeah. I didn't really put all that together, but that was that is pretty interesting. Yeah, and then and then one last point related to that, and then mm-hmm. I'll shut up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, it, it, it's another like hidden metaphor I think throughout the entire movie. Um, you know, Bob was happy for the fame and reveled in it, and then when it faded, I mean, he kind of like got a, a, a grip of of what fame was. Yeah. That it, it's just such a flash finally, in the pan. Yeah, he finally understood how Jesse felt. Uh-huh. You know, exactly. He says that in the movie, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure he has a line where he says something to the effect of, like, you know, uh, when I killed Jesse James, I was a kid, and I didn't have, like, any life experience. And I would imagine what my life was like when I was 34 mm-hmm. and uh yeah and then he realizes he takes a step back and he realizes he is Jesse James or like who we thought he's oh, exactly who he thought Jesse James was type mm-hmm. of thing. Um, there was a, there was a point in the movie very early on where Jesse was just having a regular conversation with Bob and he says I mean it's pretty obvious everybody can see it but he actually tells him which is kind of odd because all throughout the movie, Jesse says things and means other things. But there's little, like, hints about, like, I know you're lying or I know you're not being honest with me. But he says something completely different, like he's cool with it. But at this particular time, he says, I can't decide if you want to be like me or you want to be me. <laughs> Which is it? Which is it? Yeah, and exactly. so he's watching him take a bath. Mm-hmm. He goes, well, I know one, two things about you. Uh, one is what is the first one what was the first one but I don't think it's you know yeah, it doesn't really matter yeah but it, the, the thing of it is is like I don't think he wanted neither I just yeah. think he loved the idea and imagining him being in those situations rather than Jesse or yeah. you know him wanting to be the guy not Jesse and that's all he wanted from Jesse was just acknowledgement or favoritism or just saying hey you did a good job but he didn't give him that but he did by killing jesse james he did become jesse james but he didn't become jesse james he became jesse james guilt yeah and regret that's what this whole movie was about was regret and every last one of them had it and it ultimately ended up on their own demise yeah or the, 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 the living a happy life yeah, regret and pride. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I can agree with that. I, I my one of my notes is that Bob is mortified that he immortalized Jesse James, mm-hmm. and it mortified Charlie so bad he killed himself, uh, and he didn't even pull the trigger. That was the one thing that was really interesting to me, having so much regret. He he wasn't even the one that pulled the trigger. It was like. The fact that Charlie felt more responsible for it than the man who actually killed him was... Well, he introduced his brother yeah. to Jesse. Yeah. So he does I feel, feel like that would have happened anyway. You know? I really feel like Charlie felt indebted to Jesse for the opportunity. And that, that he felt like his brother, although it was a little weird that he was so mesmerized by Jesse that um, 
but he still didn't think he would go that far. I don't think his, I mean, everybody looked at Bob as like some idiot simpleton, like just some kid. Yeah. But all it takes is a little courage and putting a gun in somebody's hand, and it can make anybody into a killer. Yeah. And then his little experience with Wood, Wood Height. Oh, yeah. Remember that in the scene in the movie? That was a really important part, too, where you talk about that. Because, basically, um, this one guy's coming to get revenge against the womanizer, Dick Little, for sleeping with his dad's wife. I thought, yeah, I thought that that was more more telling of why Robert Ford's a coward than, yeah. than anything. And so, I mean, there's no reason he has... I mean, Dick does nothing but make fun of him, so he's not, like, saving a friend's life or anything. But he has a choice when they're basically shooting each other he can shoot one or the other and stop this or like intervene and say hey you gotta stop this but he doesn't do it he shoots jesse james cousin in the head and it's like no remorse it's like he doesn't even flinch about it and it's like that character changes right there it was like up until that point he had not killed anybody or murdered anybody yeah but the moment that he killed um wood height then there's no longer any difference between him and Jesse. Yeah. That he's a murderer too. And then the, he starts like smirking off and sarcastically responding to anybody that questions anything that he does. Especially Jesse. Like yeah. Background. Yeah. It's like, I'm the same as you now. You don't have no right to disrespect me. Yeah, I killed your cousin. Yeah. And you don't even know it. And I got away with it. Yeah. And you think I'm a little simpleton. Mm-hmm. And I got Dick Little captured. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm sure he feels like his own little, he feels like a little Westerner in, him, in himself, but it, I mean, it only takes <laughs> two, three, four scenes for for Jesse to take back over as an alpha. I mean, that where he threatens them when they go out to the poppy field or whatever. I mean, yeah. they, they get shaken to their boots, and then we talked about him, you know, him wanting to go to the bathroom and getting put in his place, you know. You know, those scenes are so telling without, again, not having to say very much, but you just see the consequence of their their words more than their words in those scenes, and just, that's, that's what's beautiful about it, is that you see the direct consequence, mm -hmm. uh, not exactly. the, the yeah. action of them speaking, so... Meeting up with the posse and getting away, you know, it wasn't right. that, it was real yeah. yeah brutally real yeah in a lot of ways it wasn't really graphic though you know i mean it was graphic. there was that scene where you saw the back of ed's head pop <laughs> off and then well, i mean it scene. could have been yeah i guess and then the there was another really graphic scene for no reason it was like way out of place in my opinion that well, was only where it needed to be to make a point though i don't know we could argue that for the cows came home, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I, for a movie that's so unassuming, and then just to have, like, those random spurts of extreme violence, I don't know. When Tarantino does it, at least you know it's coming, and it's played up, and it's over the top. But that just, I don't know, I guess that's, and it goes with the realize like, the... Real, well, the like, realism of the movie of it's like you know you can try to romanticize death as much as you want to but at the end of the day it's like sometimes somebody's head just kind of concaves when you shoot them in the head 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes, you know, their soul just Well, well that's another thing about it. I mean, it, the death here is being, when you compare it to a Tarantino movie, is being used in a different way. Yeah. I mean, you know, Tarantino is looking for, like... Uh, Surrealism. Yeah, exactly. And it's the exact opposite in this movie. Because, like, none of the death scenes or none of the, like, climactic scenes are really built up. Yeah. They kind of just happen, just yeah. kind of like they would happen in real life. I mean, if you were going to murder somebody, I mean, as you're going over there, there wouldn't be dun 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 music, you know, playing yeah. in the background. You'd just be riding there with all your thoughts and stuff. And this movie does a really good job with that. Is like you see the people's journeys that they're on, like just in their thoughts or whatever of how they get to where they're gonna be. Yeah, I will say the score is pretty non-existent. In this yeah, movie. I would agree with that. Uh, I th- I think that would have made this movie better. I have just a better score, just a more fully realized score. But like, I, I do think that like the the silence of the movie or the simpleness of the sound or lack thereof sound is part of. I mean, I'll give them credit for that, or like not give them credit for it, but like give them a a break on the score to somewhat because I think it was somewhat intentional to create the tone that they wanted in the yeah. movie. Yeah, I can agree with that. I don't know, though. I just feel like there's, like, clicking noises with the guns could have been better incorporated into the score. You know, because it's kind of like, you know, with last week's movie Apocalypse Now, I mean, the choppers, the way the choppers and the gun sounds are so, you know, heavily influenced through the score. I feel like, you know... That click noise, they used the click noise a lot with the with the gun. I feel like you could have put that into the score a little bit heavier. Because I feel like that would strike fear in anyone. Because they know what that means. It means yeah. they got to die. And I feel like creating like a heavier score when that click... Like that click could have been the, the, just the start of like the fear that runs through men when they hear that noise. And I, I, I just didn't get a feeling that it was really that important that someone brought their gun out when it should have, in this term, in the text of this movie, it should have been like the most important thing that happens because they know, they all know. Mm-hmm. I just feel like a heavier score could have done something. My, but, my biggest problem with this movie, and I know this is probably going to sound stupid, but I just thought the epilogue was too long. I agree with that. Because, I mean, it just felt like they did such a good job of telling the story and everything had an exact amount of time that needed to be told. And then, you know, the movie goes on like 30 more minutes after Jesse's assassinated. Do we really need to have that much time to tell what happened to Mark Ford? I mean, it's not... I mean, I guess it is sort of his movie, but it's not really his movie. I mean, not, not I don't consider him the number one character in that movie. I don't think he's the... Well, I guess he is the driving force since he killed him, but... I don't know. I just thought yeah. that was just overdone because you're just I so agree. tired at that point and just worn out from it. Yeah. And not that the movie does that. It's just the story does that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I can agree. The The scene with the bard where they're like, Robert Ford is a coward. Mm. Da, 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 da. And then he like, slips on the floor on, on his way to be like, oh, fuck you. Like, <laughs> that... <laughs> That, that just could have been. I hate it. Yeah, just that whole thing with the guy walking through at the end with singing that Jesse James yeah. song. 
I was like, just take that three minutes out of the movie. Yeah, just take it out. <laughs> that was that, my only problem. That scene could have gotten deleted. I agree that that, that <laughs> epilogue, you're just like, all right, let's get it over. With. Like mm-hmm. we know it's like mm-hmm. we get it. He's a, he's a, he's a coward. <laughs> we got it. Thank you, thank you, Dominic. We can wrap it up, man. Um, but I feel like I don't know. It also paints his despondence and like how over the time he becomes less and less, like more and more sensitized to it to the point where he just becomes an absolute reckless Mm -hmm. of a person because of what happened and and then he dies he gets murdered because of it um yeah all the insecurities he saw in robert ford were all insecurities that were prevalent in his assassinator and yeah and they all the we didn't get to see his story but i'm guessing it was the same type of loop that all the guys in the movie took yeah so bob got jack ruby yeah what <laughs> <laughs> they shot in the, oh yeah yeah jack ruby shot lee yeah, harvey yeah, oswald yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. assassinator of the assassinator <laughs> arguably of an assassinator hey oh we're gonna get into that we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna get into the list and we're gonna finish her up so if I can click on it in the love of God okay so we got the assassination okay uh, just change right here okay I'll go ahead and give my rating. I gave this movie a 7.85 out of 10. 75% uh, out of 100. What was your rate? I gave it an 8. So altogether, it's a 15.5. And it it looks like it's going to be tied in 6 with Mulholland Drive. And I think that's right. I think that's about right. Um, well, I think with it, what f- keeps this movie from, from being great is everything. The movie is beautiful. It's shot well. Mm-hmm. It's a, If you're ever in the mood for like a good serious drama movie, like it's a good Sunday afternoon type of movie. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. I mean, if you're going into it, thinking that you're going to go watch like a Marvel movie and just be blown away and just, just on this roller coaster ride. It's not like that, but I mean, it's a serious drama that makes some serious points about human nature. Um, there's cool metaphors and literary things in it all along the way, which for me makes it extremely cool. Mm-hmm. But, you know, its scope is somewhat limited. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it's it it says what it needs to say. It does it very well. It's a beautiful film, but you know, in the human condition, I mean, you, basically, you're just looking in the lives of of murderers and thieves yeah. and stuff. And you're like, I, maybe that's the point of the movie is like making all these guys human to some degree with fallacies, you know, regret that it, that it wasn't all that, and that's the point of it. Right. And and you know, to someone it's probably less for your generation, even more so for the generation ahead of me that grew up on watching westerns. 
you know, yeah. so much of it, you know, is romanticized in folklore and history and on TV shows all through the decades up till now. And, you know, it's somewhat revisionist history and we're going back and looking at things now, but it's like, no, it was awful. It was yeah. brutal. I mean, life expectancy was like 30, 35 years old, yeah. and, you know, and it was just brutal conditions and it wasn't. It wasn't a cool thing. Yeah, it wasn't. It was a horrible time, and you had slavery and then yeah. gentrification, and you know, all kinds of people being brutalized at that time. And it was just a horrible time. And and that's another thing. And I'll, the last one I'm gonna make that, that there wasn't any people of color in the movie. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, it did a really good job of portraying the time period. Mm-hmm. But I just felt like that it was like purposely done because I felt like they just didn't have time for that. <laughs> you, know, you know what I yeah. mean? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if, if that's truly the case, but I mean, this movie had a point to make and it took a long time to do it. And, you know, I think anything outside of that to a certain degree is just going to be trying to put too much in there. Yeah. I mean, it established that he's a Confederate sympathizer in, like, the opening scenes mm-hmm. of the movie. Um, so, it feels weird to do that and then not revisit that at all. Yeah. So, I don't know. And just not even in the background or in passing. Yeah. If you know what I mean? Gonna, it just yeah. seems like a If you're just going to tell Jesse James's personal story, then I don't... I think Leave is... Well, yeah, I think not having it, it enables you to have more sympathy for Jesse James yeah. in this movie. Yeah, and you don't probably don't need to have that much sympathy for, yeah. for the guy. So yeah, I guess I guess that's a good idea. Well, we could talk all night. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about a different movie next time. Yeah, we will. <laughs> and more than likely, it'll be my choice unless something changes. Um. I think we've said all we need to say. I mean, I've got some themes I can run through. That youthful ignorance, uh, humanity is imperfect, uh, pursuit of higher purpose, regret, remorse, pity, sociopathy, man versus self, man versus man, and man versus ego. I mean, I feel like that pretty pretty well encapsulated. And just one last thing I just remember real quick that I'm going to say mm-hmm. is that Bob looked at Jesse like a god. And when after he killed him, it's like he killed God. That his life no longer had purpose. Yeah. Because he, he killed his life's purpose. Yeah. Just you know like what Tom I mean? And yeah. Jerry. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, just like Tom and Jerry. Mm-hmm. Um scratching. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we got out of this movie. It's just like it's just The Simpsons. <laughs> um, yeah, I think with that we're gonna sign off because we've been here for a good amount of time. Um, yeah, so we we found uh, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, and then next week we'll figure it out. <laughs> Still <laughs> figuring that out. Uh, but uh, I'll probably have it by the time we're posting, or at least try to. Um, so stick around for that. Follow us on Instagram, Finding New Films Podcast. Follow the Cute Crew's Instagram at the Cute Crew Productions. Subscribe, like the video, 
comment. What do you got to say? Did you like this movie? Did you not like it? What do you think? But, uh, yeah. That's it for me. This has been my father. <laughs> this is my father, Jeff. And uh, we will see you on the next one. Peace. Thank you.